0: This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli.
1: Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Professor Rod Duclos. He's an associate professor in marketing at Ivy Business School at Western University in Canada. He's a behavioral psychologist whose research aims to articulate, predict, and shape human decision-making and behavior, all in the pursuit of consumer and societal welfare. Rod, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. The internet brought retail digital, the pandemic put a turbo engine on an already growing trend for retail to go online. And as more and more products are out there, everyone wants to grab consumer attention and tagging is one of the ways that marketers do this tagging itself probably also got a huge push from marketers who work in social media, especially platforms like Instagram, where hashtags are used to grow followers and build engagement. And marketers take what works in one place and port it over to someplace else. And they're not altogether wrong about tagging, are they? At least with regard to increasing exposure. Is that right?
0: Yes, that's correct. Uh, tagging has been shown to be hateful helpful. So if you think <laughs> hateful, of our... hateful too. Helpful. Yes. <laughs> if, you, if you think of um of a place like amazon but you could also think of like any kind of like online retailer or Mm -hmm. or a retailer that has an online presence it could be home depots lowe's you name it there is virtually thousands, dozens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of items for them to sell, which means uh, a lot of items for consumers to search through. Mm. So when a consumer goes online and has something in mind, they will probably type a keyword and the search engine. And the way this works behind the scene is that based on that keyword, the retailer is going to retrieve from its database options that match this keyword. And that's going to constitute a consideration set for consumers to see.
1: And and your study isn't about the sales side of things, right? It's it's about how consumers rate the product. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct.
0: There's been a a lot of work done on sales per se. So we wanted to be creative and look at a different aspect, which was uh, product liking. Now, I should mention that product liking itself determine sales. So there is research that shows that uh, a one-star increase on Yelp, for instance, is going to drive up sales by 5 to 9%. Vice versa, if you lose a star on, on Yelp, you're going to lose sales at the same time.
1: Right. Exactly. Now, before we dive into the study and what you found, I'd like to talk a little bit about one of the component parts of the study, which is how people review products. Because there are tendencies in terms of who reviews and how those reviews skew. So big picture, what did you find about product reviews? If you were to generalize,
0: generally speaking, reviews are overwhelmingly positive. So there's this known effect. It's called the J effect. If you go on any kind of of website, let's say let's take Amazon, but you can look at Yelp as well, which we did Um, 51% of reviews are gonna be a five-star review. That's by far the greatest category. The way I said it's called the J-shape effect is because you've got a little bit of an uptick on the low end, so about 17% of reviews are one star, Mm. 7% are two stars, 8% are three stars, 18% are four stars, and then 51% are five stars. So if you look at a graph and those different bars, each representing a different uh, percentage, it looks like a J.
1: That's crazy. I, I wouldn't. I understand how people tend to skew to the extremes, but I was surprised to see that positives, ex- especially those extreme positives, outweighed the negatives. And and what is what is behind that?
0: So it's not totally clear. There is a couple of explanations right now that uh, hold the most consensus. One is called purchasing bias. Um, so only the people who have a positive a priori about a product are going to wind up buying or consuming this product to begin with, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's fairly intuitive. Right, uh, you're right. not going to buy or consume something that you feel aversive toward. The <laughs> certain uh, force that works toward this positive bias overall is this thing called underreporting bias. So generally speaking, it's mostly people with extreme views that are going to bother going online to leave a review. Mm-hmm. So those positive negatives, sorry, those positive extremes and those negative extremes. Now, because there are more positive people to begin with, that's why there is uh, overall we're going to see a positive bias because more people are going to be buying something if they are positively valence toward the item. Mm. And second, because only the extremes, either positive or negative, are going to be t- taking time to review to contribute reviews online, we are bound to see these positive bias manifest overall.
1: So, if if there's a J graph coming out of reviews, and that's typical, if I see a product and it's reviewed and it doesn't have fifty one percent five stars, should I Run. say, "Ooh," should I say that's a problem? Yes,
0: that's right. You should probably run thing twice.
1: (laughs) So that's really, that's interesting as a, as a consumer note to self. So if I'm a brand and I think tagging gets me more exposure and exposure gets me more purchases and purchases, get me more positive reviews. Why wouldn't I assume that that's how it plays out? What would be problematic in using more tags?
0: Yeah, so you're right. You would assume that if you're a retailer. Uh, In fact, you would even assume that if you are a random person using social media to do tagging as well. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see. The the logic seems impeccable. Uh, The more tags you attach to your product, the more exposure it's gonna get. And the more exposure it gets because of this general positive bias, uh, reviews are going to come out or liking is going to come out slightly more positive. So Mm. we do see in the data, we do see, we do see this positive chain of event event. However, what we do see as well, and which was unknown before is there's a direct effect that's pretty negative and much more powerful overall than the indirect effect. So the more tags you actually ascribe to a product to describe it behind the scenes, ultimately the liking for that product is gonna suffer quite a bit.
1: So it's a tag that's nominally accurate. Like I want tacos and I type in tacos and something comes back and it's not really tacos, but it's a sandwich because somebody thinks that tacos are sandwiches. Is it that kind of a, a <laughs> That's thing? right.
0: So if the creator of that dish made a sandwich that like can be loosely perceived as a taco. And then he says, okay, if I add taco as a describer behind the scenes, it's gonna bring me more people to, to my recipe page. Um, so that's probably gonna work. Yes, more people are gonna be brought to your page. However, the people who ultimately consume, view and consume your, your sandwich, when they were looking for some sort of taco, they're gonna be underwhelmed and dislike the product.
1: Right, so, And part of this ties back to the way people use categories, right? That there's a human tendency. I mean, in your study, you say that children as young as three prefer to base their inferences about a new object on its stated category, membership, rather than its appearance. What does that mean? Can you give a concrete example?
0: Yeah. So um, if uh, if you present an item to people in general and even children, uh, and you tell them that it is, for instance, a clock, but in fact, it's, A lot more than a clock, it's also a phone, maybe it could be a digital player uh, of movies as well. It could do a variety of things. If you, the second you give it a label, a clock, they're gonna assume and perceive it as a clock and they will not see it or uh, perceive it as any of the other potential labels that it could actually quite uh, nicely fit as.
1: Oh, that's interesting. And especially if we think about, well, the phone, which is your lovely example, you know, if we call it a camera, if we call it a clock, if we call it a, all the things that it does in our life, how does, is that true even with adults who can understand, you know, a multi-purpose item?
0: Yes, even adults.
1: (laughs) We are stuck. So if I'm looking for a book, and I want a mystery. And I, so I type in mystery, but if it turns out that the book was a, a mystery wrote, like a mystery with romance in it um, versus a, a, a true crime mystery, is it, is it, so I'm frustrated because it wasn't a pure genre. It, do people really want the pure genre? I mean, is there a way for a marketer to understand what is a category too far?
0: Yeah, so the the example that uh that I like using because it's simple and it really captures the essence of the finding. So imagine that you write an action-packed thriller set a hundred years from now in space, and there's hints of romance between the two lead characters. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Now you or your publisher could go online and tag it for potential consumers. So you could tag it as a thriller, so just one tag. Hmm. And then I come along and I'm looking for a thriller. So I type thriller in my search engine and boom, you show up in my consideration set. Now, your publisher or yourself, you might be tempted to actually draw a larger crowd of potential consumers by entering more tags than one, right? You could say, okay, well, this is also an action-packed thriller, so let me tag it as thriller and action. And because it's set a hundred years from now, let's also add on science fiction as another tag. Mm. And there's also like romance between the lead characters. So let's add love and romance as two other tags. And maybe if the two characters happen to be of the same sex. Maybe you can add like yet another tag along the line of homosexuality or maybe societal norms, this kind of stuff, right? So you Mm. can see how the number of tags can quickly accumulate.
1: See, but that—that would seem to me to really winnow it down. Because let's say I want a thriller, but I see all these other tags, and I'm like, you know what? I am—I hate science fiction, so I—I don't. This is not the thriller for me. Where so. I don't know. It would seem to be the opposite. But anyway, continue. I cut you off.
0: Well, what you're describing is true, but that's from the consumer perspective, right? So from the marketer's perspective, it's pretty clear how he or she would be tempted to add a lot of tags because the more tags you add behind the scenes to your product, mechanically, you're going to be gaining exposure because there are different people out there looking for different things. So somebody looking for a thriller is going to type thriller and land on your book. But somebody looking for love or romance will also land on your book. And they don't suspect because they haven't read the product yet. So they don't know that love or romance are only secondary or tertiary to the block. They're unsuspecting in that sense.
1: I see. So if... So question, if the tags were evident to a consumer so that not only is it surfaced in my search, but then I see all the other tags associated, could it be helpful?
0: That's a good question. So the rigorous academic answer would be, we don't know because we haven't done that study. Let me give you the um, kind of layman answer. (laughs) Okay. My suspicion would be that it may be sufficient to weaken our findings, but I'm far from sure from it.
1: Okay. Yeah, the findings themselves are... They are so confusing to me. Essentially, because all of the tags aren't visible, but even if they were, they might only weaken the impact a little bit. So it means that people are they're surfacing only the content for the tags they're looking for. They're not seeing these other tags. So they're not getting more nuanced information. They're just potentially getting led down the garden path in a way that doesn't quite match.
0: Yeah. And, and you can see how from the marketing sp- marketer's perspective, they have no interest in showing you all of these tags, right? right. Uh, they they don't want to come across as casting a very wide net. You know, they want to come across as, yes, here is an option uh, that we retrieve from a data set. And this option fits what you're looking for. You should really consider it. Um, right. Well, I'm so, thinking
1: even and- of, of looking on, looking on clothing websites for things that were cashmere and getting tossed back brands that had cashmere in the name. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I want. And it's very irritating. That's right.
0: And, but in this example, so in the, in the, in the cashmere example, (laughs) It's actually easier for the consumer because when you're looking for clothes, you actually see. So you have a visual. Uh, but in the case of a book, uh, you don't have these visuals, right? So if you're looking for a romance novel and this action packed thriller set hundred years from now in space comes up, you don't know that it has very little romance. You haven't read it, you cannot see the inside. In the uh, in the fashion example, you can see the outside. Does this look like cashmere? It doesn't look, it doesn't seem so right right
1: interesting so you formed a hypothesis that too many tags would hurt product ratings even if they earned more exposure so they, that's right. they would they would they would get that j and turn it into a a u or a
0: backwards that's j. right so it's a slightly more complicated than that so in a sense we we predict a positive effect and a negative effect. I mean, I'm gonna explain those. Yes, so please. the positive side, more tags will increase exposure. And because of this general positivity bias, more exposure should lead to more product liking. So a positive indirect effect, but we also predict a negative direct effect. And this negative direct effect is greater than the positive indirect effect. And we show this in a variety of studies.
1: So, so to make people understand, um, people who aren't mathematical, that means that even with the increase in exposure, it's overall negative, correct? Correct. Okay. So this J is really is really changed. Those 51% positives aren't 51% positives anymore, right?
0: So what I would say is if retailers say, on the supply side, if they resisted the urge of adding more tags, our prediction would be that the 51 would actually be higher because people would wind up consuming and buying products that were really tailored for them.
1: So and you, tra- you tested this across different products and categories, correct?
0: That's correct. Yes. Five different product categories or, or environments, as you said.
1: Was it consistent across categories?
0: Very much so. The magnitude of the effect would change from category to category, but the general trend was always the same.
1: Were there some, what were the categories where you sort of blew the doors off where you really got a negative effect from too many tags?
0: So on. Uh, with books, for instance, this was particularly true mm. uh, with game apps as well. So if you think of all the games you can buy on your phone, oh, this is Totally true as well. Right, of course. But we, we also find the, 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 the effect to be true with YouTube videos or with uh, academic articles, for instance.
1: It's interesting, the YouTube videos, because that starts wading into social territory and people do go tag happy there. And so I think that especially for entertainment brands to think about how they tag their YouTube videos, because that's some, you're talking about directly linking that with a thumbs up, thumbs down, correct? Correct. And another thing in in the tagging book section, you had, it was tagging that was generated by consumers, not the publishers. Is that
0: right? That's right. So on that website, uh, which I'm not at liberty to disclose, but uh, you can think of the major websites to that effect and you're there. Mm. Uh, so, yes, it's what we call social tagging. So in this instance, it wasn't tagging done by professional retailers. It was actually readers themselves who can like, contribute their opinions, uh, not only in terms of liking, but in, in terms of categorizing what the book is about. And we find the same effect. So whether tagging is done by educated professionals or naive layman consumers, the same effect emerges.
1: Well, and if I'm thinking of the same website that I think I'm thinking about here, I think all the tags are visible, aren't they? I think they are. On that website,
0: so, it, so it, it will depend. So some websites do show tags, and some don't, and we find the same effect.
1: Interesting, interesting. Now, was was the differential the fact that it was consumer and not was it? I, I'm going to have a horrible grammatical construction. More different was it? Was it more extreme because it was consumers or?
0: i wouldn't say so because when we looked at um game uh, uh mobile phone games mm. which where the tagging was done by professionals the same effects happen so it was so the the, the magnitude really I, I would be hesitant to say the effect is even more pronounced when consumers are doing the tagging than when marketers are doing the tagging i don't think that would be an accurate uh, statement
1: so but as a as a marketer uh, it should should marketers lobby to not have consumers tagging if you know they' lobbying
0: before preaching, they should really clean up their house so, oh. they, <laughs> so they,
1: they should do less themselves all right, That's so right. let's talk about what it means for practitioners who use tags. Is there an optimal number <laughs>
0: So an optimal number, I, it's, it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to think of it in terms of there is reason to be observed. So the advice I would give is you can give not more than one tag, you can give several tags in fact uh, to your product so long as these tags capture true core essential characteristics of the pro- of the product that you're selling. The second you start straying into secondary or tertiary related attributes of your product, I think you should stop. So going back to that example I gave you, right? So right, that if book, you're that, selling uh, is an action packed thriller that takes place a hundred years from now in space and there's only hints of romance between the two characters, you, can, you don't have to stop at calling it a thriller. I think it's okay to call it a thriller, an action um, uh, novel, or even a science fiction novel. Uh-huh. However, I would be hesitant, in fact, I would be reluctant to also tag it as a love or as a romance novel, because this is only t- secondary to the plot. Now, the, to the unsuspecting consumer who comes along and wants to read a romance no- novel, like the database is going to retrieve that same novel for him as well. And if he's nudged into buying the wrong kind of product for himself, he's bound to feel underwhelmed at the end and give it a lower rating.
1: Right. Which is certainly for books, lower ratings are the kiss of death, especially if somebody is very unhappy. So, would that be true across categories that you really, that it's about core? Core characteristics, primary characteristics, and then you really should stop beyond that.
0: Right. Yes. So I think that's the that's the wisest thing, uh, the wisest advice that we can give based on the data. So we're not saying stick to one hmm. uh, tag. You can definitely have several. What we would say, however, is like stop tagging the second you start diving into secondary or tertiary characteristics of your product, uh, because then you might be luring the wrong kind of consumers for your product.
1: I see. And if we, if we think about entertainment and we think about YouTube, that then if you have celebrities, they would be considered primary, right. Or whoever this, you could tag the, the, um, the name, and you yeah. could tag the genre, but you you'd have to be pretty careful, right? Beyond that,
0: yes. So if you've got Jennifer Aniston or Vince Vaughn in your movie, then by all means, uh, put them uh, as a tag, especially if they are lead characters in your movie. Hmm. However, if they only have like a thirty second on screen presence, then maybe you you don't need to tag them.
1: I see. One of the things that social marketers do on Instagram and a lot of sales these days are coming off of Instagram is social, um, marketers will talk about wanting to make sure that your tag, that you, you have tags that are unique enough so that it's not one of 5 million items that are tagged. So, so they say, sure, you know, let's say you're, an artist and you're selling paintings, you can have hashtag painting, you can have hashtag artist on Instagram, but you might want to have some other hashtags where there are only, you know, a few thousand items within that hashtag because you can see how many are in there. Is there something to be said for, because you you get lost if a hashtag is too broad?
0: So I can, I mean, there's research that shows that uh authenticity is quite important so if you self tag is it in this fringe category uh, because you belong to it then that's great i see uh, but the the really the the rule of thumb here the the principle is if we don't be- if we don't belong if our product does not belong to that category to that hashtag then let's refrain from using it
1: right so don't reach that's really That's right. across the board do not That's reach. Right. And it actually, so if if I want to draw it back way back earlier in our conversation, we were talking about, you know, it isn't about sales per se, but about reviews. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to drag it back to sales. So if we have more tags and the direct effect of having more tags are n- negative for so we don't have as many high reviews. Does it have a sales impact? I mean, if, is it money? Are people losing yes. money?
0: So, and you can see how, I mean, I've got empathy for, for those marketers, for those retailers. They think they are doing the right thing. The more tags they add behind the scene, the more exposure their product is going to get, the more exposure their product gets, the greater the sales should be. That's intuitive logic. Uh, now, an other separate uh, contributor to sales is product liking itself. And there's plenty of research that shows that people check out the ratings before choosing yeah. to buy or not, right? Right. So you have to be mindful of those two things simultaneously. So yes, you should seek visibility for your product uh, because that drives sales, but you should also protect or preserve the ratings, the product liking, because that too determines sales as well.
1: well which which has a stronger impact?
0: That's a, that's a good question. Um, it's an empirical question. I don't know the answer. Okay. I, frankly, I don't know that anyone does because it would be highly context dependent. So in some cases, uh, it could be one. In other cases, it could be the other. Um, I also know of research that suggests that it also depends on how many reviews have been contributed to begin with? So mm-hmm. what's more important? What do I put more faith in? Is it the number of reviews contributed or is it the average rating that I see?
1: Ah, uh, so yeah. And shift. Right. right. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. And I've I've in, in conversations with people um, at book publishers What's interesting is that if it's solid five stars, that is suspect, you know, just like when you take a, so if you have survey responses and they're all, you know, straight lined down, you say, well, I don't know how, I don't know how much I can trust that data. That's um, right.
0: If you have a five-star rating with only a handful of raters, uh, you should wait to put a lot of stock in it. Vice versa, if you have a five-star rating or even like less so, let's say a 4.7 star rating, but with 5,000 ratings, then uh, you can put more stock in that. So sometimes a 4.7 can be more persuasive than a full 5.0. That's interesting. That's interesting.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing the time. It's actually something that people do get tag happy. And so this is a, a word of warning for all that All those people inclined to add a slap another tag on there. So thank you for sharing your time. And there will be a link to the paper on the podcast webpage. Thanks, Gabriela. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.